just grape nuts and cream and whiskey. No, save, save it for the podcast. Save it for the podcast. We're in the podcast. It's episode 232 of We Were Gamers. I love palindromes. Hello, Michael. Hey, Andy. How you doing? It's Monday. We're recording on November 2nd. I'm doing great. Wait, what <laughs> is... Hold on. What's a palindrome here? None of this is a palindrome. I was confused. Did you say a palindrome and I missed it? 232 is not a palindrome? Oh, uh, I guess it is. I guess it yeah. counts. Yeah, okay. All right. I know Just it's kidding. not. it doesn't feel like a palindrome because it's not a word, but I really yeah. love numbers that do that where it's like 171 or, you know. I said, yeah, the number didn't trick the, the, I think of it as like a series of words, you know. Yeah, yeah I hear you. Hello, welcome hey. to episode 232 of We Were Gamers. Hello, JJ. Hello, Andrew. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? Better than Alton Brown? <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> what? Okay. Y'all were blowing up our discussion with this. And yeah. who is this? What did he do? And why is this interesting at all? Because Al- I don't get it. Alton Brown is a food personality. He yes. He does a lot of food related things on the scale less than a Gordon Ramsay, but more with more uh what would you say, like street cred maybe in the food world than a Guy Fieri. I'm not knocking on Guy Fieri, by the way. He's uh from all accounts a very good human being. Mm-hmm. Um but He's not a. This is not the diners, drive-ins, and dives kind of guy. I that show is extremely entertaining. To be oh, clear. absolutely, it I, is. Yeah. I'm just trying to like place him in the food world. I'm not knocking on uh, a guy Fieri type, but okay. uh, gotcha. He hosts like Good Eats and stuff for Food Network. You know, he's more of a yeah. Food Network so level Alton, star. Alton Brown is what you would get if Bill Nye went to culinary school. Yeah, 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 yeah. There you go. Right. He's very. He is very detail oriented he knows all of the like the science behind why food works i um, see like very studied on techniques and i think he may, the, he's like, the commentator on iron chef america yes that kind is. of stuff more technical oriented than a food filming okay. kind of guy uh, okay anyway Alton Brown's having a night where either uh I think Michael you said his his intern forgot to switch accounts got drunk at the wheel <laughs> um, or Alton Brown has started early or he just decided to burn it down and is just like whatever who cares anymore yeah Twitter's not a thing I'm just going to burn it down and be my real me this website sucks let's just ha- do whatever <laughs> we want to be clear Twitter does suck so I think it's you know admirable you know? in a way it it's a weird world to have to straddle the line of needing to use social media and also not wanting to use social media. Yeah. Know? But I think my favorite from the last hour was turn off the lights and run 23 Slim Jims through a juicer. Did you see that the official <laughs> Slim Jim account responded to that with Slim Jims in a juicer? No. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, that I was I just going to assume... <laughs> I just assumed you were going to say they were going to retweet it because, of course, they would. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. But no, no they they, they, they did it for real. Okay, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what a special day the way that that is having. Oh man. Oh, I feel like maybe I should have that kind of day. I just got my property tax bill. I don't know if. Mm. Uh, <laughs> If you prepared for that time of year, JJ, I mean, obviously as a good homeowner, you should. Uh, uh, so I, uh, the way I pay my mortgage. Oh, you, you escrow your property taxes. Escrows the property taxes. Or is so my escrow? mortgage yeah, is more than my mortgage. And so it does right, all right, of that right. at once. And so I pay my property taxes all year. So then I get the bill and I promptly go, who cares about this? I already paid it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it doesn't make me feel better though, because then I'm like, well, how much is this? Like, okay. But then mm-hmm. how much is my mortgage actually? And then it's the rent and, but yep. it's going down and, uh, interest and loans and, uh, uh, that's, uh, you know, comes out in the wash. Yeah. 
and you know whatever maybe, like i I, maybe, yeah. I expect the money to have been paid so i don't worry about it but yeah i mean you know it is it's a high number on there <laughs> <So>. <laughs> welcome to california i want to add to your monthly bills are you ready are you yeah. ready to pay $99 a month plus a $500 satellite dish mounting tripod and router for Starlink internet, everybody? Oh, I heard about this, though. Yeah. Um, so no, I'm not. But I think some people should be and will be. I think so, too, but not me. No. Uh, so, Michael, Starlink is SpaceX's internet. Okay. Yeah. They have slowly been launching satellites. There has been some drama about these satellites, actually. If you look back to last year, a bunch of uh, ground-based telescope researchers have said, you know, SpaceX, you're kind of ruining space by painting all these satellites bright silver. We can't hmm. see anything through these telescopes anymore except your blurry satellites flying through the image. And it reflects a lot of yeah. light because of the color. Yeah. yeah. Right. So they have since painted them all black uh, th- after that drama. This is what you get a little bit of uh, the commercialization of space sometimes, you know, when there might not be anybody in charge. Of these oh, I, I, I was going to say this is what you get when you treat space exploration like a tech company where the most important thing is to just do it immediately and as fast as possible. Right. Um, yeah. Similar uh, to what happens when you treat a car company like a tech company. Hmm. But hmm. anyway, <laughs> we're not talking about that. We're talking about SpaceX. Imagine. Yeah. Uh, I will not be purchasing this, Michael, because the latencies are currently 20 to 40 milliseconds. Okay. And, I mean, and you the- literally have to go to space. The max. It's not gonna be fast. The max <laughs> Mbps is one hundred and fifty. Wow! Until recently, that was more than what I had. Yeah. Don't worry. By summer twenty twenty one, they will have achieved nineteen millisecond max latency. There's no route where it, the <laughs> latency gets low enough to be worth your time. I was going to say, like, what do they, what do they eventually hope to accomplish? Like, how? Well, so what is their giving people in rural spaces internet. Yeah, oh, it's okay. the rural people, and because, right? Like, you know, if you think about it, if you live on a farm in the middle of farmland, no one is digging a trench to your house to install, even like decent cable internet right you are lucky if your telephone company gives you dsl right and probably you can't and so then you're stuck on like dial up or something which is not even a thing these days yeah there's still a shocking number a number of um americans even where we live right um mm-hmm. without broadband what you would consider broadband and broadband even isn't the the, like that, uh, I believe the federal definition of broadband is twenty-five down, three up, which is pretty low. Yeah, uh, I think it's mostly places that you would assume, like JJ mentioned, kind of like the farm Midwest Belt, except for you know the Illinois yeah. area where they have a or, Chicago and all that. Yeah, like the the places that are far. If, if you are like a hundred miles from a major city. Yeah. Or, you know, like, yeah, there's some small towns or whatever, and that town probably has okay internet service, but your house that is 20 miles from that town definitely does not. Yeah. I think, and I think it's something like 20 million Americans basically still have dial up. And there are satellite internet services now that already exist and have been doing this for a while, but they offer like five megabit, maybe. (laughs) Right. And yeah, the, the latency times are atrocious. And, you know, you're never going to get good latency. The, the signal does have to go to space. Space is still far away, you know? <laughs> and, you out. know, if even if you just go up to space and back down to space, the round trip time there is some number of milliseconds that is more than, like, five. And so you're not going to get a good latency out of it, right? Like, if you're trying to play Quake on this or whatever, just, just don't. You're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah, you're going to get killed. You know, play Call of Duty, you're just going to die. Sorry. But it's enough for people. You can watch the, Netflix. Uh, yeah, like yeah. you can right. you can stream movies and stuff because the latency doesn't matter for that. It's also enough to have those um, internet check services, right? Or like you could play something like Hearthstone or whatever. Or yeah, those. There's tons internet. of things that don't require quick latency like that, and sure. you will be able to do those things. 
which whereas now you know it's like they want to load a web page that plays a video uh set your clock <laughs> come back in five minutes you know so it is a service that there are certainly lots of people will want i don't know what the price offering is yeah, and all kinds uh, of things so but the the one thing question i had was they've got 900 satellites right that's not a crazy amount to provide internet to the whole globe and i wonder if they're using the kind of like 99 dollar price point and all that to get more satellites up there to then parse it to cheaper for for other places right yeah, i don't know i don't know the the starlink satellites aren't very big they can't i mean they're not super crazy expensive or anything i mean no satellite is really that big yeah uh except for those telescopes those telescopes are pretty big that are up there well they have um, to build them in space right yeah <laughs> but the uh you'd be surprised at the amount of throughput you can get through some of the signals and stuff that they send across those satellites is some of those like tv satellites that were put up there you know 20, 30 years ago at this point, more than 30 years ago, probably at this point, are still in service because they are good and still fast. Mm-hmm. You know, fast enough to do TV stuff, which is, you know, what what you need for that service, right? You know, more modern technology, I'm sure you could get, you know, faster equipment up there and be able to send internet without a problem. The question then, of course, is, you know, what is the price point? Can you make it make sense? How much does the, installing that satellite dish cost? And so on and so forth, right? Yep. Speaking of prices, mm-hmm. in maybe not a good sign, but maybe a good sign if you're someone that's interested in certain things still owned by this company, quietly, Blizzard has put a 30% sale on all of its gear. And uh, included in that is some stuff you would maybe have seen released at a BlizzCon, like... More Velcro patches, a whole new series of pins, some new statues, new toys. Mm. Hmm. I, I guess this is their, uh, we made this stuff already. What are we going to do with it? Um, Odd, however, that you wouldn't, I mean, they calling it the Gear Fest sale, but it's mm-hmm. advertised as a sale instead of like either holding the stuff for the virtual BlizzCon in a few months. Or making a big deal out of the launch of this stuff instead quietly uh, pushed it out there. Kind of an odd strategy, wouldn't you say? Their website sent a big email, but like, yeah, are you reading those website emails? No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but that seems odd to me. That stuff that, I mean, mean, literally those patches and pins sell out at BlizzCon. I think also though on the website. I think also though it is stuff that maybe they will just continue to make more of because they know they're not going to sell it through on this random thing that they did now. Mm-hmm. And so they'll just make more and then do this next year when they assume it will, they will actually be able to do a real one, right? What do you uh, think? What do you think the excitement level is? I don't know. I don't know. I, maybe we take a barometer reading of people that are. Uh, maybe less and more interested. So, Michael, maybe you played Diablo 2, but not Diablo 3. Mm, no, I never really got into any of the Diablos. Okay. And then, so that we've got the barometer set here. No interest to high interest. Do we still care about Diablo 4, given the, given the news and news and news that keeps coming? I mean... I think I will give it a... I will be willing to try it if, as it starts to come out, it doesn't look like trash. <laughs> and, you know, they're not doing some of the stuff that they have done in the past with Diablo 3 that was so terrible. Um, You know, no real money auction house, that kind of stuff. Um, But, you know, I, I, I'm willing to look at it. I'm not like, oh, yeah, day one Diablo, like, Maybe I would have been two years ago, let's say. Yeah. Michael, nothing really piques your interest there anymore, yeah. Hmm. Not so much. Okay. All right. Well. And that demo we played of it a couple of years ago was pretty fun. Yeah. Now a couple of years ago, along with Overwatch 2 or whatever they announced at the same time. 
Yeah, no, also is gone. literally could not care about Overwatch 2 whatsoever. I would have cared if it came out that year. Yeah. All right, Couldn't. well, forget yeah. that then. Let's talk about another fantasy franchise. Owner? Wizards of the mm-hmm. Coast? Yeah, so this I, I this popped up a week or so ago. Uh, this is literary drama, you guys. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I own many novels by published by Wizards. So, are we fighting uh, over the rights of Drizdorden? No, they own Drizdorden. Don't worry about that. Um, no. Uh, the authors of the Dragonlance series of novels <laughs> have sued Withers, Wizards of the Coast for a bunch of things, but the amount was like around $10 million for essentially breaking their licensing agreement to them so that they could get books published through Penguin Random House, I guess. Because Wizards owns the Dragonlance IP as part of their acquisitions over the years or whatever. Um, You know, Wizards logo is on all the books or whatever, since they own that stuff. And the authors, uh, the original creator and authors of that those series of books, I guess, had some kind of deal in place that no one knew about uh, until this lawsuit was filed and revealed that they were writing a trilogy of books that now aren't coming out because Wizards decided to whatever is alleged in this contract. And now they were like, nah, actually, no books. Um, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to approve any more of the drafts. Uh, at which point they said, so you have just broken the contract because the contract was to let us make these books. Uh, and so then they're like $10 million for our damages, please. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. I assume wizard, this is, you know, all from the one side of the people filing the lawsuit, right? We'll have to see, I guess what wizards say in their defense, but you know, reading the document from the people suing them sure sounds like wizards screwed up pretty bad here, uh, in terms of like the contract and stuff. So I'm, I am curious. Uh, they are. They had a book that was already substantially complete. The outline of a second book was underway, and a third book had already had like its, you know, outlines or whatever presented, and apparently had been going since around 2017 until near the beginning of this year when Wizards just like completely stonewalled them and said that no, you can't do anything anymore. Wow. Again. Oh, uh, again, allegedly, because we have no response from the other side to find out what their what the other side says, right? Okay, yeah, it's I, a bad look. I can't remember, but didn't they stop? Does anybody know here if they, didn't they stop publishing these like a decade oh, ago? I, I definitely know because I own every single one of them. No, oh, Michael, yes, like forty yes. of them. No, there's like a hundred and thirty of them. Yeah, there are so many. Michael, did you read all these books? I, I have did. read a over bunch the years. Of them. Over the years, I have read every single one of them. You have a hundred and thirty Dragonlance books. I do. Uh, so kind of, this... you're some sort of Dragonlance hero. You understand this, right? <laughs> a friend, a friend turned me on to them in like fifth grade, and I started reading them and kept reading them until they stopped publishing them. So wow. you've you've read all the way. So Weiss and Hickman are the people that are suing, right? Okay. Yep. Yeah. The, the original. The, that's who I figured it was. The creators and, uh, you know, basically the shepherds of the entre universe. The yep. shepherds so, of the universe of Dungeons and Dragons, by the way. In uh, case people didn't. No, no, no. Yes, the shepherds yes. of the, Dragonlance specifically. Well, Dragonlance is the original release of it's the not. settings, isn't it? No, no. Mm. No, it is a campaign setting like Forgotten Realms, like Ravenloft, like those other ones. This one was extremely popular for a time. Uh, the series of novels that they wrote, starting with uh, Dragons of Autumn or whatever, that very first one that came out in like the 80s, I want to say. Uh, yeah, Autumn Twilight. Was ludicrously popular and sold a crazy amount of copies. And then they wrote, like, many more subsequent trilogies of books up until, I want to say, like, 08 or 09 or something was the last time they published one. So the books aren't that really, like, D&D right. books, though. They're, like, the settings of... It's, like, stuff that's happening not to the characters and stuff I mean, like that, the, right? these are novels, right? They, yeah. There's stories here. Okay. Um, but they take place in a 
D and D universe. Yeah. And that conforms to the various editions of the Dungeons and Dragons, you know, settings. And so, you know, like there are explicit references to like mages who are low level casting sleep and like, <laughs> you know, doing like Dungeons and Dragons y stuff. But Michael, you never played a lot of or if if any Dungeons and Dragons, right? I mean I don't I remember. didn't. Yeah, I didn't. I liked that. I liked the books for the books. A hundred and ninety books using the Dragonlance settings. That's so interesting yeah. to me because so these books, of, some of those some of those do include the like the kids' books that they wrote. Well and yeah, a lot of these are gonna there's also reference books probably in there and appendix yep. books yep. and and wow. you read like all the side books and stuff that like tell the tales of the people from the cataclysm and all the books from the people yep. about like the knights and all the, wow, that's so wild, man. I've read like all the mainline ones. I don't think I've ever read any of the side so ones. So what was it like when they ended then? If you read them start to finish and these ended like a decade ago, how was well, it so just the, gone? Right? Like I'm, no, I want to hear the, the way they read them all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, they for for me personally, the the timing was actually was kind of okay um, because it it they finished writing about the time that that college was ending. Did it feel like it was um, just done? Like at that point, they were done. No, they had actually. It's it's interesting. They they felt like they were transitioning into a new phase. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the stories up to that point had taken place essentially on one continent on this on the planet that they created and they had started to explore another continent on the other side of the planet oh no don't give george martin any ideas (laughs) uh so it, it felt like they were moving into a new phase um and even though you know it was just the two authors who had started it they had brought in dozens of authors over the years um, and you right. know, each one of them had their own voice and their own type of stories that they like to write and tell. Um, and so it, it kept it, the fact that they were always bringing new people in, um, sort of helped keep it from feeling stale, right? They had a, they had a framework to work within, but within that, as you know, as long as they, they stuck to the, the rules of the world, they were kind of free. It seemed to write whatever they wanted to write. My understanding is that Weiss and Hickman were at some level like, I don't want editor is the wrong word, but like, yeah, shepherds or whatever of the the setting. And so people who were writing stories in that setting wouldn't necessarily have to like run their whole book by them. But like, you know, the high points or whatever, they would approve to make sure that it was like within the realm of things that should happen in this oh, world. You or know, whatever. in the 80s and, and 90s, especially there were they would have created things like style books and and Bibles and all that sort of stuff that those people yep. would have had to follow, which have sort of fallen apart these days. I don't know if you've read, JJ, some of the stuff about Discovery even or like other, other modern uh, TV shows with sci-fi backgrounds that have had hundreds of episodes. They rely a lot on like fan wikis and stuff like that. I believe it. And, and this is this series and this universe is unique because these are the two people who wrote the original creation. Like the one guy literally invented the universe of Dragonlance. Hickman literally made it at a, you know, different company that wizards of the coast bought later. Like he literally came up with it whole cloth. He and his wife and Weiss was working at the company. They were at uh, TSR right at the time. And, they, you know, together, you know, were writing these D and D modules essentially that then spun out into books, which then the books became way more popular than the D and D stuff at the time. <laughs> uh, and then they just kept doing it because it was so fabulously popular. And so this lawsuit inadvertently revealed they had already written essentially an entire, or you know, a large portions of an entire new trilogy of Dragonlance books, and the Wizards of the Coast was not going to let them publish it. Uh, they even gave a title of the first one, Dragons of Deceit. Hey, that was a book. It's like almost done, according to them. Ah! <laughs> Man, uh, I hope this this comes out in their favor because I would definitely dive back into some more books. Oh, I, it's funny because I have been reading them, actually, rereading some of these books oh, have you? over the last like month and a half or so. The books are very quick reads. They're not like... Yeah. Very, you know, like young adult level stuff. It's just breezy and yeah, they're like know. they're beach novels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, just so light. 
I want each stuff. of you to give me you, each of you give me some that I can pull out of Michael's library and read because I don't think I know the Dragonlance universe. I know some of the the characters and stuff like that from having played DMD, but I've never read a Dragonlance from cover to cover. I mean, you probably don't know the Dragonlance universe though because it is very it, like you know Forgotten Realms, right? Like you've heard of Baldur's Gate and you've heard of like these other you know, fame like Elminster, probably right, Drizzt. <laughs> but like, do you know who Raceland is? Mm, not or, off the top of my head, probably. Or like Tannis Half Elven. Hmm. You're so, like, you, you should read the first one, right? Is that the right answer, Michael? Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have obviously. to. Yeah, you have to start yeah. with the original trilogy, and from there, yeah. you can you can kind of. There are some books that you should read right after that because they start to build on those main characters, but then. After you've got maybe a dozen books under your belt, you can basically branch out anywhere you want to go. They're not like your know, saga, huh? Well, if you want to read the story of the like mainline books, you can just read the various trilogies that Weiss and Hickman wrote. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah, the, the first one. There's the, uh, then there's the like twins trilogy. And then there's the, I'm going in chronological order here. Then there's like the, the Summer Flame book. Dragons of Summer Flame. Yep. Yep. That's a bridge book there. And then after that is the War of Souls books. Mm-hmm. And I don't remember if there's more after that one. Yeah, they did. Uh, they did another uh, Lost Chronicles trilogy. Those take place during the first set of books, though. So it's kind of like. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. They do. You are right that they publish them later and they kind of like retcon a few things here and there. I've read them recently. That's why I, can, I remember this. Yep. Uh, um, and then they split up and did some books separately. Like Martin, yeah. uh, Weiss did some books uh, alone. And, and it is a like, you know, all this stuff is like, and then there's like 80 million in between each of the trilogies. There's like a bunch of other books that tell stories around the the land, you know? <laughs> And it's like, oh, this character who is a side guy in the trilogy or whatever shows up and has like a whole series of books about him and what his deal uh, is. Games Workshop did exactly this thing, right? You know, they they followed this yeah. exact model in the in the mid '90s and into the 2000s of, hey, here's the main story of what's happening in the Warhammer or Warhammer 40k universe, and you can follow these five books to know how the setting's going to change before the next edition. Because what did Abaddon do this month? You know. Uh, yeah, and, and like and if then, you just want, and the story then how many the guard setting. novels can you read in the meantime, or how many, you know, right. side novels from the Ultramarines universe can you read? So it's so funny because I never read all of the side novels. I really only read those main trilogies, and I still love them. Like I mean, they're very much of a time. <laughs> oh yeah, you go you go back and you read, especially the like the old ones from the eighties, and you're like. This is from the 80s, I can tell. Because like, you wouldn't say certain things this way anymore, you know? Uh, it's not, like, overtly racist or anything, but it is definitely, like, a... Those are the like the evil races. The caricatures, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very silly. It's like, oh, yeah, all the goblins are, like, extremely stereotypical. Every orc is like that, you know? It's just a... Um, give them credit, though. They didn't do the, like, elves the dark elves are like underground dark-skinned dwelling elves they're just like elves that got cast out of their homeland for crimes so hey yeah. that's although something. if you if you keep reading enough of the side novels they do actually start there's like a trilogy about the ogres and a trilogy about the minotaurs and it explores yeah. more than just the this race is bad which is um, like you, you actually good. do get stories built around each of the races. Yeah, which is nice because the original novels are just like those minotaurs sure are dumb, right, guys? Ha <laughs> ha! And then they like walk on. Like that's all you hear yeah. about the minotaurs. <laughs> uh, but the I think the coolest stuff to me in that in that in those books were always the way their the magic in that world was segregated by good, neutrality, and evil, and yes. they all have like different moons that they worship. The th- yep, there are the three moons. It was always so like cool and like mystical and stuff. I thought it's like it makes no kind of translate to the game, though. You know? Oh yeah, there's like tons of like you can see the like classes and alignment charts and all this stuff being oh, drawn yeah. up. Right? Twenty tw- a pantheon of twenty one gods. Mm-hmm. 
Like these ones are aligned with this side, and these are the middle ones. So not the playing the not playing D and D proper, then Michael, was it hard to keep some of that stuff? Like, because a lot of the times the the fluff books, uh, uh, that are more technical, right? Like here's the book that explains gods, and then you just sort of read it. It's not really a. It's more like a an encyclopedia style stuff. Uh, kept all uh, that stuff straight, not the books really. Yeah, so I did. I had a couple of those. Um, there, there are a couple of games that are. They're just that. They're source books. Mm-hmm. Um, both, both, but they're written in such a way that they're source books, both for the novel set and for the game at the same time. Oh wow! Because the games, the novels, take place in the world of the game, and so you know you have. If you're reading about it, it's like background for the stories, essentially. Um, not necessary background because you can get along just fine just by reading the books, but you know, it's stuff that you would, you know, Oh, I had read the campaign setting. I know about the three moons already. And so then when this guy is talking about having to being the light of this moon or whatever, I know that his magic is stronger because that's how that works in the setting or whatever. Um, but also when you just read the, the story, it's like, Oh, the, the moonlight shines upon him and he casts a spell and you're like, Oh, okay. It's like you don't need to know that, but it is like you know fun background. Man, um, how hard would you Mike, have to screw up to piss off everybody that read a Dragonlance novel, Wizards? I yeah, that's why I'm really confused about because it seems like you know, and, and like look, I don't know anything about books and publishing, but like I'm sure there are clauses in these contracts that are like, hey, we don't like what you're doing. Like if they're like nuking the world and like you know destroying it because they're you know they're mad at wizards or whatever right can't wizards just say like no you have to change this like we control the ip you can't destroy it for us i'm sure there's some clause in there that says they can't do that right they must have like approval over what they write and if we don't like it you can tell them to change it and then they they either have to do it or now it's their fault that the contract is breaking not wizards's right right sure yeah so i you know i don't know it but I don't see why if these books are are still somewhat popular, at least in nostalgia, if nothing else, why even if this isn't the direction you're trying to take Dungeons and Dragons anymore, right? Like, I don't think they sell a Dragonlance source book anymore. You can't like play this setting in fifth edition. Oh, gotcha. But even if you're not doing that, why not just publish these books and let people that want it read them and then say like, hey, this isn't this setting isn't for, you know, D and D currently, but you know, Hey, maybe if a million people buy it, we would consider it. Right. I don't know. Like, I, it doesn't hurt anyone to make more money. <laughs> I don't yeah. like, you know, it, you don't have to Dungeons and Dragons is fabulously popular these days is my understanding. Man. Um, it's very confusing to me. The whole thing. It's just another knock on from the horrible. I don't know this coming week. You'll probably hear a carbon scoring, uh, with not a lot of nice things to say about Hasbro and their current mm. deals in place with making toys and things like that for Star Wars. And uh, it doesn't surprise me that they could screw this up too. You know, like this seems like a, a win, just a straight it, win. It's the easiest thing for wizards. They have to do nothing except, you know, make sure that the drafts and the, these manuscripts or whatever that they're putting out aren't like actively harmful to their brand. And then just be like, sure, go ahead and publish your books, whatever. And then everyone gets paid. <laughs> like, I don't see, there's like no downside really for them. They're not even publishing it. Penguin Books is publishing it. Wow. It's not like they have, they have to pay for the books or anything, you know? It's just a licensing deal for Wizards. Wow. Yep. Crazy. Okay. Michael, uh, wow. sorry. One more question about Dragonland stuff. Yeah, sorry. go for it. Sorry. Uh, do you have the annotated versions of their first two trilogies? I don't. I don't own the annotated versions. Let me know if you want to borrow them sometime. Okay. Those are the only like rare-ish copies of anything that I have of those. Otherwise, it's just the main books, which I'm sure you have all of. <laughs> yes. Boy, oh boy. Okay. Are you that was guys a fun trip down memory? Yeah, lane no for kidding. Me. I, yeah, I'm well, actually. I did uh, not expect that. I'm, I neither. I'm very happy I'm, to reminisce. I'm a little bit in. Uh, but you know, we were gamers. That's the moment, right? Of like being able to it, travel that path. Those books got me into D and D. 
Yeah. That's what made me want to play D&D, like second edition. I got in in backwards to D&D. I was into Warhammer first and Mm. then was like scrounging for as many fantasy novels as I could find and stumbled on Forgotten Realms at that point in time because that was like late 90s, I think, Mm -hmm. by then. Oh, yeah. The drizzed was strong at that point, I believe. Right, and I think uh, I had also run into Battletech at that point, too. I was thick yeah. in that universe of novels. Looking in for new Dragonlance novels at my local bookstore was how I found Battletech novels. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. They're, you know, right next to each other, sci-fi oh, and man. fantasy. I, gotta, I don't think I have any of my Battletech novels anymore. I don't know if it's possible no, to even I... track those down. I do not have any, no. Yeah. Not anymore. Bummer. Those were good, too. All right. Let's take another trip down memory lane for a game that is... 18? No. 16 years old? Let's get back into Final Fantasy twelve, you guys. I mean, Zodiac Age isn't that old, though. Zodiac Age is not. But Zodiac which Age... Is what we're, to be clear, which is what we're playing. Okay. All right. But the the original, yeah, it's old. <laughs> <laughs> I think Zodiac Age is only three years old. I think twenty seventeen. No research. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah, I'm. I'm guessing. I'm thinking. That sounds about right, though. I'm thinking it was 20, like a ten year anniversary. I think it's even more recent than that. I think it was twenty eighteen. Okay, somewhere around there. Well, that may that may mean it was twenty seventeen on the consoles then. So everyone is correct. Woohoo! <laughs> you guys, I have to admit some stuff to you. Okay. I was having a hard time getting myself excited to play Final Fantasy twelve. I understand this. Yeah. Uh, it's a commitment of time that game is, and when I got into trying to figure out the gambits. Mm-hmm. I would sit in a chair because I thought it was best to play this on a TV. Uh, it's a little bit of better proportion on the TV. I'd sit in the chair. I'd start trying to figure through gambits. I'd play about another 10 minutes into the game at a time and then kind of fall off of it. But because we were doing it for the pod, uh, we kept trying to do it and kept trying to do it. So I have now fallen way behind you. This past week I decided, you know what? It's, it's probably two things. One, I feel overwhelmed by the game. And two, I'm not playing the Switch the way that I like to play it. And so I disconnected the Switch from the dock. I started playing it handheld, and lo and behold, I've now played seven hours in the last week. <laughs> Hey man, do what you need to do. I know. You need yeah, to play whatever, whatever, I really, I really wanted to give the TV a chance on the Switch. It's just so much better handheld. I just, it get, I it's so wrong, man. It's so much better on the TV. <laughs> you just can't. But you know, hey, it is what you like. That's great. Yeah. You should play the game because the game is not that bad. I'm enjoying it. I don't I, think it's bad. But now that I've told you, I'm very far behind both of you, which I'm very, I'm dying to hear more about trial mode. Well, I, w- I want to know where you are, though. How far yeah, did you I was get? Gonna, I was okay. just going to ask that. So I made a mistake. Did you did a, you reroll your characters? A large-ish, no, 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 no. A, a large time mistake of not restocking Phoenix Downs before going out of a city because I didn't understand that I was going on a dungeon run. And so Mm. now, based on my saves, I'm stuck in the Lusu mines. You can usually leave, though, right? So there's a section of this I was going to ask you about, and I was going to get to it later when we were talking about where we were in the game, but now we're talking about where we are in the game. So... I assume I'm supposed to run away from this fight because I just get annihilated every time. Where these bounty hunters have caught up to us and Balthier says we should run. 
but I've only explored uh, like a third of the mine. The, yeah, that's a story fight. You have to get through that one. So mm-hmm. I'm supposed to fight that fight because they murder me every time and I have no Phoenix down, so my whole party goes down like instantly. Ooh. Yeah. And so I either have to lose like an hour and a half or more or I got to figure out a way through it. So I bet, you know, I bet if you just turn around and run the other way back out of the dungeon, you could get back to the town and go restock on supplies. So here's my other problem. I I keep dying because uh, when I reload the save, I'm at the fight. And then everybody's gambits kick in, and I can't kick the gambits off and run fast enough before everybody's dead. Well, you so you can pull up the menu and kick the gambits off from there and then jump out of the menu. Yeah, but the, the gambits... So I load the game, the gambits kick in, they run towards the enemies. By the time I pause and kick the gambits off, they're in the middle of them, and then I can't run fast enough and everybody dies slowly behind me and then my character's the last one left and then I die. Um trying to think what you could do about that. Uh, as soon as you it, have no other saves cuz you, you you didn't save like outside of the dungeon it's like an auto save like an hour back or something like that. It's gnarly. I made the mistake, right? It might be worth it just to go back an hour just because you're going to have to backtrack for an hour maybe to get out of the... I don't know how far like in the mines it is from where you are. Like It may just be... You may actually be saving yourself time by loading back up when you were in the town. <laughs> saving yourself the run back and just like load up on supplies. Yeah. I think that uh, my malaise that had kicked in about the game more about like feeling a little lost in it. I I'm trying to do it without like guides and all that. I don't I'm an adult. I don't need a guide to get me through RPGs that I've played my whole life. Uh and then like oh. being a little bit lost with the the gambits especially and the TV thing has kind of set me up for now being probably underleveled and underprepared for things. Like I picked some classes and now realize that I don't have a healer. <laughs> That's going to be a big problem for you. Yeah, so if you have no one with access to white magic, you are in a big problem. Um, I have somebody... So I don't understand this because I don't have a white mage, but my archer can cast cure. Yeah, so... There's overlap. I don't understand that because she only has one... She only has one license board. Uh, Is Let me guess. Is Fran your archer? uh uh-huh. Fran has cure as a character ability to start the game. It's not because of her class. Oh, okay. And this is why Balthier has first aid and stuff like that. I don't know where yes. you can see that. Yes. Uh, not on the license board. No, because you but, can't see it there. Yeah, uh, you can see it if you go into if you go into status in the menu and pick a character and uh-huh. just tap tap through hit the a button right it'll scroll through pages of the abilities and the ones that each character can use are highlighted gotcha uh and i misspoke andy you can run from that fight are you supposed you to or are you supposed to fight you you have the choice the story progresses either way i'm only level nine and they seem to be just way stronger. i think nine is maybe a bit low I have not I done any grinding. I probably should have. I did yeah. all the hunts and stuff before I left Rabinaster, and then. Okay, I mean, if you've done, maybe I just don't remember what what level you need to be in these areas. Anyway, I uh, is your equipment good? That's the other question, that might right? Be because the problem too. you yeah. can you can solve a lot of problems with buying a bunch of better armor and swords for your people or whatever. So I know I've fallen way behind you guys. I know that this is probably way behind where you were in the game and stuff like that. But one of the things I had noticed was two things that I tried to do. Menuing takes a long time, by the way, it has caught. Yes. I went through the first night I decided to go onto the switch, uh, handheld. I was menuing and doing stuff and I noticed my save before and after I stood at a save crystal saved, did a whole bunch of menuing, checking equipment, setting up characters, doing 
what ended up being not smart things with my gambits and all that stuff. And I had eaten an hour right away. If you were starting from fresh, almost right. Like, yeah, there is a lot of setup you can do per character because the gambits are unique and you have multiple sets of gambits potentially, right? Like you can even go that far if you want. It's a lot of of stuff to click through and the menus are kind of bad in that game it, and they were bad i remember on the ps2 and it, they didn't fix them yeah. here yeah there's no way to just jump out of the menu you have to back up and back up and back up yeah um, especially when I, you're like changing equipment or when you're changing things if you want to take an item off someone ugh. and you're in the equip menu you can't do that nope you ah! back out and then ah! the rage you had to go in the what menu? Remove. It's a, a separate menu, menu from the equip menu. Oh, yeah. No. If you have a trinket equipped on one character and you want to equip it on a different character, you have to go re- go to remove, take it off of them, then go to equip and go to the other character and put it on. There's not just like one menu where you can take stuff on and off. Yeah. Why they did it like this is I can't fathom, but it is unbelievably frustrating. It's because, you know, like, especially early on, you have money, but it's not like you're rolling in gill all over the place here. Right. You can't buy four or three copies of every trinket you run across to prevent poison or stop or whatever it is. And if you have like one really sweet one, you want to have the one that lets you see HP and then you want to have the one that lets you get sweeter loot. And then whatever your third one is, if you want to trade that to someone when you switch them out or whatever, or they, they force them to leave your party. Like, ah, yeah, come on. Ah, frustrating. Yeah, so, I think Andy, part of part of what get will will get you bogged down too, and one of the complaints that I have about this version of the game mm-hmm. is the way that they dump all of the gambits on you right off the bat. I am overwhelmed in gambits. Yeah, exactly. In the original yep. version, you slowly collected gambit conditions. Um, so the like character HP less than 30%, you slowly collected those over the course of the game. And so to start with, you only had a handful of conditions you could set, which was a really easy way to sort of work your way slowly into learning the gambit system rather than having 200 conditions and saying, ah, pick what sounds good. I think you can. I think part uh, the of, other thing. Oh, go ahead, Andrew. Oh, go. sorry. I was going to say, I think part of that too is if you were given the gambits at that pace, you would play the game differently than maybe one of the suggestions that you guys gave me. Um, if I was given a lot of gambits, like, you know, attack a uh, target of party leader or something like, like, you know, foe, target, party leader or whatever, um, you would play your main party leader without lots of gambits, if at all, any gambits, and like slowly build them up enough to have the people doing the things you want, but you'd still fight every combat. But in the, one of the things I tried to jump into doing to catch up to you guys and get leveling done a little faster was giving my whole party menuing and then putting the game on 2x. Um, and so I gambited everybody, including the party leader, turned it on, went 2x and uh unfortunately that was when things kind of went awry and all of a sudden i had used up like 15 potions and like Mm -hmm. the you know characters were getting knocked down and i didn't have like the wherewithal to slow the game down and recover (laughs) sometimes Mm -hmm. you know like things on 2x speed and you don't you try and recover while still at 2x speed is not a great plan it's important uh, to remember you can turn the 2x speed back off. Yes, I remember. <laughs> the, the panic set in, uh, though. Yeah, no, I, I understand. Uh, the, I think the, the thing about the way the gambits work in this is that they give you too many at the start, but they also give you a bunch of ones that actually don't matter and you really shouldn't buy because they're really not useful at all. Like, it, because... At the end of the, you know, the end, the thing is you don't know where the, where the system is going and like how the, what total spells are available to you and stuff. Like by the end, there's really no reason for you to have gambit target afflicted with oil, gambit target afflicted with sleep, gambit target afflicted with whatever. I was wondering about those. There's a huge list 
of yes, like there's eight billion conditions. conditions. Yep. Oh my god, there are so many. And, then and there's a billion conflict. And the answer is you don't need any of those because you want the one that says cast Ensuna, which removes all conditions. Yes. Um, it doesn't actually remove all conditions. There are conditions it doesn't remove, in which case you need the gambits for those ones. But for like poison, blind, silence, you know, the, the like common conditions, Ensuna does all of that. But you don't get access to that magic for a long time in the game. And yeah. you know it, it's farther on the license board, so you would have had to have built up a ton of points to get it anyway. And so but for, once you get the license, you have to find the actual spell, and you don't, aren't going to get the ability to have it for a while. So in the first part of the game, am I wrong for thinking that maybe it's easier to leave gambits off because you have to deal with status effects by hand? Basically, there's not enough gambit slots to be doing like oh, automatically treat poison, automatically treat doom, automatically treat this. I think. So I you I think you want to have them on, but really what you want to prioritize is the stuff that is like going to kill you, right? It's like character HP less than some percentage cast cure. Yep. Put that one up at the top, number one. You know, and then uh, you know maybe right below that you want like attack party leader's target or whatever. So that way, whoever you're the character you're controlling is attacking, they will attack that one. But so how and you, then if you want to do yeah. some other stuff, you can put some other stuff in between. So those, maybe, right? Michael, you know how to do this then because you had listed out a lot of gambits and I'd be happy to hear them again. But like if you have your party leader on gambits, how do you make sure it's attacking the one you want it to attack so that everybody else attacks what you want them to attack? So that that can be a matter of so, yeah, everybody else in your party, you put on attack party leaders target um, the party leader you can start to get creative with some of the gambits you use. So I think that I have mine most of the time set on um, attack the enemy with the highest total HP. So I'm, I'm always going to be taking out whatever the, the strongest target around me is first. Focus fire it down and then clean up after mm. that. Now you could you could flip that and you could say, you know you could clean up all the the easy enemies first so that you've only got the one harder one left if you wanted to or you could focus on something that has an elemental weakness right so you want to take out the one that has weakness to fire first that seems like um, a ton of gambits though are you are you using all the sets no. So the thing about this, uh, so Andrew, also remember the sets are like independent, right? They don't, it, each set is independent from each other. So it's not like they don't layer, right? You, you get, you get all the actions in a certain set at a certain time. And if you switch, you now have none of those other ones and all of the second ones. Right. But like ones. to me, when I looked at that list and it was like target something weak to fire. Well, I'd never put that in a main gambit set. I mean, I think I agree with you. I would also never do it. But um, maybe but in a I, secondary I, set, if you know you're going into a fight against a free, you'd say, you know, like, loose to magic uh, that is ice or something. I don't know. I just, I have never really used the secondary and tertiary sets. I just use the one set, and then I go in and make alterations to it if I know there's a big fight coming up that I need a certain thing for. Okay, so give me a rundown then of, like maybe recap or whatever what your general strategy is for your gambits each of you and especially things like mages because i have a tough time seeing how you'd control a black mage through gambits uh so for me at the top for everyone is some way to bring back a character who has died that's always first um because if if you're in a fight with a mob and you get overwhelmed it's really easy to get on the wrong side of the damage curve if all of your party is not alive so and do, doing something. How do you not have three or two or three of your characters all doing the same action and then that you know you waste either three Phoenix Downs or you've wasted all of their their uh what is it, ATBs? Uh M MP? MP. No, 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 not MP, but like the the action bar, right? Like if you do an action and it gets cancelled, you've lost all that time. Um, usually it does a good job of sorting it out. Like only one, only one character will try and take the action. Oh, okay. Uh, especially on that one, because someone's, 
someone in your party has died, so there are only one or two people left. Sure. Right. So if someone tries to throw a phoenix down and someone tries to cast a spell, the phoenix down is always going to be faster. Oh um, man, I think I broke trial mode. By the way, uh-oh. no, no, doubtful. You, wh- but okay. Do, I, have I you guys know. gone into trial mode when you have a guest member in your party? Yep. Oh yeah, yeah. You can do that because then you can have four people instead of three. Yeah, you can. Mm-hmm. Andrew, here's the secret: the guest member is stealing all your experience. You should kill them. <laughs> Yeah, it gets divided. Well, what? in that in in trial mode, it's not as big of a deal. But in the because it's only because it's only license points in the trial mode. So yes, you're not in the regular game. It's divided. Experience is divided by the number of characters in your party, including guests who take their experience and leave. Well, some of them come back. Yeah, a little bit. Your your main characters don't get any of that experience that gets siphoned off they're getting 25 percent instead of 33 percent. you you read as soon as you touch the same crystal you force attack that man or woman or child or whoever until they are dead and then you do not resurrect them wow your gambits would resurrect them though not if you set them right huh yeah it's i think it will not res guest characters if you have party member dead or something like that i forget which one it is yeah, it will, it will not resurrect the dead. You won't. You won't bring back the, the guest. Okay. But yes, uh, that is a a good recommendation because as you're running around and to be like clear, the only time maybe you want them alive is like right before a boss or something. If you think the boss is going to be really tough, because then they can like tank for you, <laughs> right? Because they're just going to get killed. Uh, you know, the dungeon monsters should not generally be so strong that you are being overwhelmed by them. With a few exceptions, maybe. Yeah. Oh, but also be careful with guests because if their gambits are set up to use items, they don't use their own. They pull from your store. I know. (laughs) Another reason why you should just murder them straight off. And they don't don't complain. They're like, hey, I get it. I'm dead. It's Uh, fine. uh, That's where all of my potions went. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. It truly the worst thing about this game are the guest characters. Not that the characters themselves are bad. Some of them are wonderful. The fact that the the way it works with your party in battle is really frustrating because you can't alter any of their gambits. Generally, you can't do really anything with them. It, they just kind of do whatever they want and they use all your items, man. What the heck? I needed that X potion. And you just took it. What the hell? Yeah. What? Okay. So. And then targeting you, you do you do res, you do healing, you do fighting. And oh, so you were talking about magic. Well, yeah, Sorry. Mainly, okay. yeah. Like, give me a walkthrough so of like, how you I do a black mage. So my character, my black mage is has as a second license the monk license. And so they're a very balanced character between dealing physical damage and casting magic. Um, so I tend to um, let the gambits take care of dealing physical damage. And if I'm fighting something that has an elemental weakness... I'll just manually cast the magic. Okay, that's a decent strategy. I think that is uh, generally a great idea for every magical character. If yeah. you, when you get to second licenses, or maybe you have them already, I don't know. Uh, anyone that gets a magic only kind of class, like white mage or uh, time mage, or what were the other ones? Red, uh, red, black, mage. black, and red mage, right? Mm-hmm. Any of the mage classes, you should give a physical damage class as their other one. For sure. Any kind of physical damage. I don't care if it's Archer or Bushi or, you know, uh, I maybe not Machinist, but like almost any of them okay. uh, are good just so that they can do something else. Because they will go out of mana like really fast, especially later in the game when you have like the really powerful, like, you know, fire all or whatever like fire ga or whatever and it hits in a giant area but it also costs like 40 mp per cast (laughs) and you're gonna even if you have 500 mp you're gonna be really sad about halfway through the dungeon and you have no mana left yeah it also makes them less squishy sure yeah Yeah, because then you get the class bonuses exactly yeah yeah so like knight is a great class for your mages i'll just say (laughs) they had a ton of hp ups on that one um I want to say like uh, 
Bushi is good too. Maybe. Monk. The Monk is a good one. Monk is also good. That. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but some that you'll have fun with later in the game, Andy. Um, one that I cannot re- recommend highly enough is the bubble spell. And spell. bubble automatically doubles the HP of whatever character it's cast on. That's not like protect. It's just called bubble. It's called bubble. Okay. And protect um, also exists. It, yes, protect also exists. Uh, but bubble will, d- despite what it says on the screen, bubble will actually break the 9999 HP cap. Oh. So if your character has 7,500 HP and you cast bubble, they now have 15,000 HP. Whoa. Okay, yep. speaking of weird things that people say on the screen that I don't understand, what is the deal with the no XP trinket? Oh, the you have one of the shards. A firefly, I think is what it's called. Oh, that one. Yeah, I'm not sure why you, unless you're just trying to level out your character but still have them gain license points. Yeah, right, so, so you have, I think you the have, use of it is you have a character that, you know... So maybe you are already experiencing this a little bit, Andrew. You kind of have like some main guys and some less main guys, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Uh Main and the, some of maybe the level difference between them is like a few levels here on one, and the other backup team is like a level or two below, right? Sure. Uh, if you want to level up the less main folks, you can stick the no XP trinket on the person from the main team who stays in while you bring in two of the non-main members mm-hmm. and they will get a larger share of experience a level up quicker. Okay. Yeah. I will, I will argue that you shouldn't do that either though, because the better way to do it is to equip those other two people with the double XP trinkets that show up later. Yeah. <laughs> Fair point. And then uh, I, th- Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I've been following Michael's advice and I try to steal in every fight. And uh, now I have tons and tons of loot. I understand yeah. that I need to sell it to the bazaar to make things. Yeah, just sell it in any shop. Is there a point where I should just stop stealing? Um, It might behoove you to look up a loot table mm. and a bazaar trading table. Okay. Just so that you can know when it makes sense to steal when you're there, trying to get something specific to trade. There for are some... One ludicrously rare loot items yes and if you happen to get one either via luck or trial mode or just like you know blind luck early on you can save yourself a lot of time in the end game by happening to have one x of i don't know whatever gemstone or high arcana or something that is impossible to get otherwise got it um so Look that stuff up just so you don't accidentally sell something that's really valuable. But, you know, I mean, like, if you if you just see every guy you're stealing from has a pebble, you don't need to steal from him anymore. It's, you can could, you could get rid of that gambit. It's fine. <laughs> Turn it off. And you could probably hold off on stealing until you get the thief's cuffs anyway. Thief's cuffs. They, they let you steal multiple items at a time from each enemy mm-hmm. and get better and steal rarer items. Cool. Uh, right. The the only exception being trial mode. If you go into trial mode, you should steal from everything. Yes, because <laughs> there is some really amazing. Well, I finally found the chests in trial mode. Some okay, them, good. Some of them are easier to see than others. Uh, yep, totally agree. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, both of you are rounding rounding the corner here towards the end of the game. I think, though, right. I am. I'm basically ready to hop on the straw and head to the final dungeon. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's about where I am in the story. But Michael has done a bunch more of the side content than me, and so I am going back and finishing off hunts that I skipped because I skipped mm, a lot of hunts in the middle of the game. Let's say <laughs> uh, maybe all of them purposefully uh, and- or just because. I was I was doing the story stuff, man. I was okay. I was yeah I was interested in the story. I was moving it forward. I was well leveled i had really powerful equipment i didn't feel i needed to do any of these hunts i um i was yeah. i was a little lost on the story in terms of caring and now that i've pushed ahead i'm starting to care again there was a lull I, yeah you've got to get a little further in before it uh there was a lull it starts to right? draw you in okay i definitely had a like a kind of like a sine wave motion with this game <laughs> for parts of it. Like the beginning, it's kind of like, this is real boring. And then it got pretty good. And then there's some like, kind of like 
fetch fetch questy boring stuff. Yeah. And then it got pretty good again. Um so yeah, I I I feel that. Speaking of fetch quests, we have three minutes to talk about the Mandalorian. Sheriff Raylan Givens <laughs> is back from Justified. Uh the best the best casting choice. It was very good. I told Michael before you had watched it, JJ. The best quote I saw on the internet. Spoilers for the Mandalorian for one one minute. For one minute. You can skip ahead or, you know, this will be the end of the podcast. The only person who could pull off looking like a dollar store Boba Fett and ride around (laughs) on Mm -hmm. Anakin's pod racer and make it look cool was Timothy Oliphant. (laughs) I, uh... I was talking with my wife after we watched it and I was like, ah, like this guy's in a whole bunch of stuff. Like I loved him and justified all these other things. It's like, it was an inspired choice to put him in this role because if they had had anyone else dress up in that armor and look like, yeah, like dollar store Boba Fett, it, I would have just been immediately like, this is unbelievably dumb. (laughs) Yeah. It would have, it would have tipped over into farce and he would have lost it. I couldn't believe when he sat down, I thought for literally half a second, he looked like Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. He's definitely gone gray. Yeah. What an episode though. His character played so much just like the sheriff Raylan Givens from Justified <laughs> that I was very confused for a couple of scenes where it was like, oh, right, they have guns. Oh, they're oh yeah, it's Star Wars still. He said this is the way. Okay. Like, weird. <laughs> yeah. I Great, I, great episode. Great episode. Great beginning uh, to a new season. I'm glad they kept the chapters. I'm glad it seems like they just were ready to pick up exactly where they left off uh a lot of unanswered questions at the end of that it's pretty good Mm -hmm. i I think the best the best thing about this episode to me is that it was all about the mandalorian like the kid the child is the reason for the plot and the reason why they're back on tatooine but he was basically just along for the ride yeah they've kind of stepped him back half a second from the cutesy thing in the front not he's not gone i mean they still had jokes no, where he no, sat he, in the he had, pot and all that yeah he's still the comic relief in yeah. a lot of scenes but yeah the the focus is is yeah. pretty much exclusively on the mandalorian as it should be it was great yeah. it was great anyway uh if you want to hear more about that maybe we'll chat about it next week and uh if you have final fantasy 12 advice for me or want to hear more about uh, Michael's Dragonlance collection. Where would that go? I want to hear about Michael's Dragonlance collection, so I'm going to send an email to podcast at wewergamers.com. There you go. Uh, we are also on the internet at wewergamers.com. You can also find us on every podcasting thing out there. Uh, subscribe and follow us. And also on YouTube, please do that. That would be very helpful.